Listen, today we're, we're starting a new book of the Bible that we're going through, the book of Daniel. And so a lot of people um, remember some of the stories, right? You know, Daniel in the lion's den, the, you know, those guys in the fiery furnace and those types of things. But uh, so we'll hit some of those for sure. We're going to pretty much just do this chapter by chapter uh, is the way it's going to break down. And um, so what we're calling is Living uh, in... Babylon is the series title, and uh, that'll become obvious once we just start reading through the first chapter, why it is called that. But um, before we get into that, I do want to, and before we pray, I just want to mention a couple of things, just as far as um, just the book as a whole. You know, we're doing chapter one today, and the the title is uh, In the World But Not of the World, but the, the message of the book as a whole, I think, is good to to kind of keep in mind. So if you read through the whole thing, uh, you can kind of get this sense that even with the four visions at the end of the book, is that contrary to appearances, God is in control and he calls his people to live faithfully where he has put them. And certainly uh, the four individuals we'll read about today in Daniel chapter one, it's not their home. They've been taken out away from home and they're living in a place that's totally foreign to them in a foreign culture, in a foreign land. Uh, where their God is not worshipped, and so on. And so uh, they have to learn how to be faithful to God in that environment. And so I think there'll be some, definitely some relevant things for us here uh, since we, um, we live in a, in a culture that I feel, uh, and I think I'd probably come up with some substantial examples of where it's, it's, it's less friendly to Bible-believing Christians, to, to Christians who want to remain faithful to the scriptures, okay? And so I, I think there's some relevance there for us. So before I go any farther, let's pray together, ask for God's help here as we get into the scriptures. Heavenly Father, we come to you, and uh, we, we know that um, Jesus prayed for his disciples. He, he says, I send them into the world. And uh, so we, we know that it's not we're supposed to go hide somewhere and wait for Jesus to come back. Uh, So we know that we're supposed to be in this world. We're sent there to be your ambassadors in in all kinds of ways. And so, Lord, we we want to be faithful, though, as we are. Lord, we don't want to uh, live our faith out in in any way that would be compromising. And so, Lord, help us, God, to remain faithful to you. Help us to see, Lord, and to hang on to the truth that you are in control regardless of how it looks to the human eye at times. And Lord, also, uh, we just pray, Lord, we want to lift up our brothers and sisters in our church family who are sick, uh, who are just physically struggling. We pray, Lord, for your healing hand on their body. We know that you can heal and you do. And so, Lord, we lift them up and we ask for your healing power to touch them. And also, Lord, we just pray uh, for those that might be struggling with depression and discouragement right now. Um, and so we pray that you lift their spirits, that your Holy Spirit would encourage them. They'd encourage themselves in the Lord, but also that we might be your hands and feet, Lord, as you lead us to, to, uh, to help them as we see the needs. And Lord, I pray also lift up those who, who are still seeking jobs or who are, um, who've lost their jobs during this pandemic or for different reasons. We pray, Lord, for your provision there. We pray, Lord, for answers to prayer. We've been lifting up to you different ones to 
to, to find a job that would meet the needs. We pray, Lord, you do this. And uh, for your glory, we pray it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so before, uh, so I'd encourage you, if you, if you don't already have uh, a way to read along in Daniel 1 with me today, you know, pull your device out. If you have your Bible, find your way there. Uh, you know, if you have to use your index, there's no shame in that, okay? A lot of people don't find themselves in Daniel a lot. Uh, so, um, but make your way there. And as you're doing that, I want to mention two things um, also that came to my mind as I was thinking about not only this chapter, but the book as a whole, all right? And one is that um, as followers of Jesus, uh, we're exiles too. Uh, we're, we're, this is not our home right here, okay? Uh, our home's in heaven with the Lord. That's our ultimate home, okay? Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of camping. <laughs> we have some pretty nice tents, you know, uh, the homes that we live in, but it's temporary. That's the idea. Is, you know, as you're fo- if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we have to realize that, you know, what uh, we're, we are here is living in a temporary situation. Um, and First Peter, uh, Peter writes to a group of believers who were being persecuted, and listen to what he calls them. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 11, he says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. So he's, he addresses them as exiles. And yes, they were scattered. But, um, you know, we can find other places in Scripture, too, that just says, again, this, this is a temporary situation we're in here as believers. Our home is with the Lord. And even think about the Apostle Paul when he said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's our destination as believers, as followers of Jesus, okay? And so uh, keeping that in mind when we uh, are living in situations and, and uh, believers, uh, of course, uh, in other parts of the world are certainly incurring much more uh, opposition to their faith than we do here. But nonetheless, as we live our faith out here, I think it helps us to realize that hold loosely to these things uh, here in this life because this is not what it's all about, okay? The second thing is that we will be hated too. Two meaning like, like Jesus was, okay? In John chapter 15 and verses 18 to 27, let me just read this to you. The words of Jesus, he says, if the world hates you, Know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Let me stop there for a second. I mean, we can give you a whole message on this passage right here. Uh, but I'm just saying, you know, if, if, if you're not getting any opposition, you might not be taking any stands, and you may be just living a life of compromise, possibly. Uh, only the Lord knows. Uh, but I'm just saying... He, he, the Lord says, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. In other words, you know, you know you're not, you're not getting any pushback. Um, but it says, uh, then he goes on and says, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name, because they do not know him who sent me. 
See, it's, it's really who we're identifying with that's the issue, okay? Identifying with Jesus, okay? That's the thing. You can use God's name, you know, just God, in a lot of situations, and it's not going to be a problem. You start using Jesus, then you start having some problems, okay? Uh, if I had not come and spoken to them, he says, they would not have been guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me... Um, Whoever hates me hates my father also. If I, if I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But the word is, but the word that is written in their law was, must be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And thankfully, he goes on to say, but when the helper comes, uh, whom I will send to you, the uh, from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And so thank God for the helper <laughs> that we have, the Holy Spirit, who can help us live and to live faithfully for him in the here and now. But I think it's just good for us to be reminded of that before we dive into this. This is not our home as believers in Jesus. Our home is with the Lord, okay? Um, and that uh, we will be hated if we um, remain faithful to the scriptures and faithful to Jesus, okay? This is going to happen. All right, so now what I'm going to do as we go through this chapter is I'm going, we're going to read it in little sections according to how I see it kind of divides out. So we'll read a little bit, talk a little bit, read a little bit, you know, kind of like pick a little, talk a little, pick a little, talk a little, cheap, 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 talk a little. Nobody even knows that. A few of you know this. I never watch a musical. Linda can tell you, she's probably about ready to follow right now. I'm not a musical person. Right, but what was that? The Music Man, right? Okay. Anyway, it has nothing to do with the message, but anyway, that's how I'm going to approach this message today. Just reading a little, and then we'll get into it. Let's take a look at the first section here. The first two verses really kind of introduce to us what's going on here. So let's read uh, verses one and two here. It says, "In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon." came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2, And the Lord came to Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought, he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. And so, uh, what's going on here? Well, we see that, um, of course, Daniel and his friends that we'll learn about here in just another verse, um, they, uh, their city, their home city, Jerusalem, which would be identified with the presence of God, that's where you would go to worship, right? And where the temple was. And, you know, this is how the Lord uh, desired to be worshiped at that time, was in it more of in a geographical location, right? And so, What's happened, though, is Nebuchadnezzar, a totally godless king, pagan, worshiping all kinds of other gods, he came in, and uh, they battled, and God's people lost, and he exiled, you know, they, he took some of those people and relocated them, okay? That's exile, right? So, so <clears throat> this is the situation, and... Um, why is this happening? Why is this happening? I think it's, it's a good thing for us to look at, especially as we dive into this book afresh, is why is God allowing this? 
okay? Did you, did you catch that phrase there at the very beginning of verse 2? And the Lord gave Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim is the king of Judah, God's people, okay? The remnant there, all right? And uh, God gave his people into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. No matter how prideful Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you know, thinks how awesome he is, and we'll see that in this book as well, uh, you know, he's a puppet, really, in, in God's hands, in a sense. Um, and so we need to see this is why would God do that? Why would God allow this? Why would he, he do this? Why would he allow his people to be, in a sense, conquered and then, and then moved around and put into exile? Well, we can see this in a number of different places. One of the places I want to look at here is in Isaiah 39, verses 6 and 7, as we peek into the prophet Isaiah and see what he has to say about this. Uh, again, Isaiah 39, 6 and 7. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. Boy, this is, this is happening right here, okay? Right in this situation that we're about to read, okay? And so, so this is uh, the prophet Isaiah has prophesied this, that this is going to happen. Then um, I want to take a look, actually, just at a few verses in Daniel 9, because in Daniel 9, Daniel prays sort of the prayer of repentance and asking for forgiveness for his people. And in the few verses I'm going to read in Daniel 9, we'll get a peek into as the reasons why this exile is happening, okay? So take a look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 6, says, uh, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets. This is Daniel speaking in a prayer to God. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. So one of the reasons is, uh, God's people were not listening to his voice coming through the prophets, right? That's how many times God would speak through uh, his prophets, right? And so one of the reasons is that people were just not hearing the word of the Lord that was coming forth from the prophets. They were not listening. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, for, he, for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. So, uh, not only were they not listening, they weren't doing the things that they already knew to do. They were disobeying God. So, as a result, uh, this is God disciplining his people, okay? So, it was prophesied this would happen, and this was just a result of God disciplining his people for their disobedience. Now, um, so thankful that God also shows his mercy and grace to his people, even in the midst of this discipline. Because what we're going to see here is with Daniel and his friends, that God has his hand on them in the midst of this exile. He is blessing them in the exile. Okay, so, so uh, I just find that encouraging because they're in the midst of being disciplined by God as a people, 
and yet he's blessing them right in the middle of that, okay? And that's our God. That's how he is. Um, he, he is gracious. He, he loves us enough to discipline us, but he's also gracious and forgiving as well, right? So, so here we have the reason uh, is that God was disciplining his people. They disobeyed. We're not listening to his voice. And so that's how they ended up here. Um, and so um, I, I want to kind of hit on this, this thing about that God's showing his grace to us even in the midst of uh, in a, in a, a situation that's, that's, that's hostile to our faith or less friendly to our faith. And that is um, that God has a redemptive purpose in all of this, okay? If, if, I, if you take a look, uh, and I'll just read the phrase to you, but in Psalm 137, verse 4, Psalm 137, verse 4, it says, Sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. Sing the Lord's song in a foreign land. And so here we have almost like a little outpost for God's people in a foreign land. Yes, it was coming as a result of discipline, but yet God can use that, even in his discipline, to spread uh, the fame of his name, okay? Even in the midst of this discipline. And I believe this is one of the things that's happening here. As we will see throughout the course of Daniel's uh, life, as we know it in the scripture, he will serve in the courts of three kings over a period of 70 years uh, and a voice of influence for the name of God in the midst of a godless people. That's quite amazing, all right? So, so, so just think about this. You know, as we, as God has us where he has us at this point in time, in whatever specific situation you find yourself, ask yourself, I wonder, God, how you want to use me in your redemptive plan where I am. Um, I think about the Apostle Paul when I think about situations like this. Like, here he was in prison in the, you know, in, uh, well, gosh, much of the New Testament was written from prison. Let's just say that, right? Uh, Philippians chapter 1 Verse 12 says, this is the Apostle Paul, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, and he had some examples of this. He had examples where, you know, the people he was chained to, uh, the guards he was chained to, he would witness to them, right? Uh, Just everywhere he went, the gospel was going out, and he was just didn't matter where he was, prison, not in prison, before a king, you know, whatever. He was God's mouthpiece. And so I just, uh, I just want us to think about as, as we are, in a sense, in a sense, we're in a place that's not our home, okay? We're in a place that's, that seems to be increasingly less friendly to, to uh, those who want to be faithful to the Scriptures and to following Jesus, okay? And so what we need to do, though, is the, not to hit the eject button and go live somewhere in, a, in an abandoned missile silo, but what we need to do is say, God, how do you want to use me to advance the gospel right here, okay? And it takes, and it, many times it just takes um, eyes of faith to do that, right? Because sometimes we just, all we see is hard hearts and so on, but, you know, got to remember, your heart was hard one time too, <laughs> okay? I just often forget that, and uh, we should not. 
Because God can just, he can soften the hardest of hearts and incline someone's heart towards him. And so just, just be praying. Just make that a matter of prayer, I think, in your own life. I hope you do, is to say, Lord, the people that you have me around, my work, where I live, um, and so on, how do, you know, how do you want to use me? Let me have a, a sort of spiritual antenna say, Lord, I want to be used by you in a redemptive way to help people bring, help bring people closer to Jesus. Even though maybe the environment around me, my culture, um, whatever, is not very nice about that, right? About, uh, you know, some people don't even like the idea of what they would label as proselytizing, right? Uh, converting people, helping people come to know Christ and convert, right? Um, and so, uh, anyway, I, I just think we need to just be thinking about the redemptive purposes because God is going to be, is, we'll see, is using Daniel and his friends um, among many other things as a part of his redemptive plan, and he wants to do the same with us, okay? So, now, next, uh, the University of Babylon is where we find ourselves in the next section, all right? You probably never heard of that, but you're going to see what that's all about here in verses 3 through 7. So, starting in verse 3, Daniel chapter 1, then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance. And yeah, I knew you couldn't hear that. Um, <laughs> sorry, used without blemish, of good appearance, and skilled in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. So, stop right there. Think, what's going on? He's, so the King Nebuchadnezzar is saying, listen, head of the eunuchs, you go find me the best of the best there in Jerusalem, and you bring them back here, okay? The best intellects, the, you know, good looking, you know, all good stock, intellectually, physically, all that, and you, the nobility, you bring them back here, and we're going to train them in our ways, okay? So what we have here, and I, I'm just kind of facetiously calling it University of Babylon, but what we have is really indoctrination. We have them wanting to teach these uh, young men here the ways of the Chaldeans, okay? So it, it, um, and so it says, and it goes on in verse 5, the king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and of the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar, excuse me, Belteshazzar, Hananiah, and he called Shadrach, Mishael he called Meshach, and Azariah he called Abednego. So, so what do we got going on here? We've got renaming, right? These guys before this had... Nice Hebrews names, all glorifying God. Now we've got renaming happening, trying to change their identity, okay? I mean, so I'm really not kidding. This is really kind of a case of, of, of Nebuchadnezzar trying to get to steer these guys to their ways so that they can have the best of the best and they can serve in his court, okay? And so, so they, they want, he wants them to eat their food learn their culture, and all of this. 
So um, it's just, in a sense, fascinating what's going on here uh, with this, these exiles. Now, think about this. <clears throat> if Nebuchadnezzar were alive today, he would probably be using every media outlet he could. He would be using music. He would be using books. He would be using every platform on social media to get out the word about how we Chaldeans live here, how to be a great Babylonian, you know? And so, uh, literally, I mean, this is, this is, he's indoctrinating these people. And so, um, but, you know, you think about that, is that these are really kind of a clash of worldviews going on here, right? Uh, a godly biblical worldview here with Daniel and his friends as they're trying to maintain uh, their integrity before God, as we'll see. Uh, but then this worldview that's a pagan worldview uh, that we have of King Nebuchadnezzar. And, um, you know, uh, I don't think it's probably any, any news to you that there are varying worldviews out there, and everyone's having, trying to have a voice, and they want you to believe their worldview, right? And so uh, that's just why it's so important for us to be uh, grounded and have a solid foundation on what God says his, uh, you know, the proper worldview is, right? Uh, and so we need to know the word of God. And, and so also just realize, now I don't think that, some, I mean, sometimes I, I, I mean, I'm sure that it's not like the world is nefariously saying, aha, I'm going to brainwash you, you know? Uh, I'm sure there's probably that element there. Uh, but I'm just saying that it's not always people's intention to be, you know, like Nebuchadnezzar was. He had, uh, had a plan here. But nonetheless, we have to be careful that, uh, and to realize that the world has um, a way of seeing life that's totally contrary to God and to his will. Okay? Some things line up. Many things don't. A lot of people don't have trouble with, with, love, with, with the idea of love your neighbor, which is a scriptural thing, but there would be other things they would take issue with. And, you know, um, for example, I think it's pretty clear from Scripture that God, uh, he, he wants us to value human life and the sanctity of human life. And so we, uh, as followers of Christ, should be protecting the unborn as well as the born, right? And so that's something that we should be realizing, though, uh, because we're in a culture where, you know, if it's not convenient, you know, we're, we're killing babies and so on. And so, um, so we have to realize that, you know, we spoke earlier that, you know, you're going to be hated for some things. You may be hated for that, okay? Uh, and by all means, you know, I want people here to know that, hey, <clears throat> We have a gracious, forgiving God, and there may be people here in this room or in our church that, that have had an abortion or aided in an abortion and all that. And let me say, God is gracious, and when we repent, He can, he can forgive, you know, all of that. Um, and I just want people to know that because a lot of times when they hear someone take a stance on that, they immediately think, you know, well, you're hating on me. No, I'm not. I'm just, I'm just kind of standing on the Word of God, but also want people to know you can be healed from um, all the fallout that comes from having an abortion and, and so on. And we partner with PDHC 
here uh, have before and different things, and they have some great resources, even for those who are trying to recover from that, um, from the fallout from that. And, and I love the fact that that organization doesn't say, just don't do this. They also provide resources to help you uh, keep your baby, right? And, and so, um, anyway, just, just I was trying to think of things that where we have major clashes in worldview here and, and so on. And the other one is, is just marriage, right? Marriage um, is the big thing here over the last few years where, you know, in, in Scripture, it tells us, you know, that God's will is, um, the, is marriage between one man and one woman. And in our society, that's been turned on its head. And, um, and so we, we can't compromise on that, okay? Um, and, and so I just want to say something briefly here, too, while we're on this, um, is that um, uh, it, it, to some it may sound like uh, we would be um, like we're, like, like I hate gays or we hate gays or something. That's not it, okay? That's not it. So I, I just want to say, because I don't think this is said enough in churches, and I know I probably have not said it enough over the years, to say that if someone has same-sex attraction, you're not going to be kicked out that door, okay? That is uh, something that people experience, just like uh, guys that I know are married who lust in their mind after other women. Okay, that's not uh, permissible either. Okay, and so we need to realize that you know I just want people to know that may be struggling with that or, or just not know what to do with that. You can find grace and help here. Okay, um, and I want you to know that. And so if that's something, if same-sex attraction is something that you're experiencing, you're not sure what to do as a believer with that, um, then I would love to hear from you. Okay, and would love to uh, to just you know, and I'll just give you my give my this two two uh, maybe a minute here on this. I didn't mean to go down this road really for very long, but I just I think it needs to be said that um, there are some things in our lives that we're just going to struggle with all of our lives, fighting against things in our flesh. Okay, so um, some people over the years in Christendom have felt like, you know, the way to, to help people that's, that has same-sex attraction is to tell them to stop it. Many times that doesn't work, okay? <laughs> it just doesn't, okay? Uh, sometimes, you know, just like any other area, God delivers that and, you know, becomes totally something different, but sometimes it's not. And that doesn't mean people are doing something wrong. But I, and I think in Christian, we've done harm sometimes uh, and people have turned tail and run because um, they're not being offered help in a way that's saying, well, just, just because I'm still uh, fighting this, you know, uh, it doesn't mean that you're doing anything wrong. I'm still fighting sin in my life, sin that I probably will to the day I die. And so, um, anyway, I, I just, these clashes of culture, we're seeing it all the time. Is, is that what I'm saying making sense? about this, you know, we, uh, I just think that the church has done some harm in the past um, in general, the capital C church. And so good, good to, to put that out there that we're here to help and, and help people to live out their faith, whatever their uh, particular challenges are in following Jesus. So, all right. So uh, 
this is what's going on here. It made me think about Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, because just like we see Nebuchadnezzar here uh, and his uh, people trying to to get these guys uh, to conform to a certain way of thinking, we've said our world is trying to do that to us. So Romans 12, 1 and 2, I want to read it in the J.B. Phillips New Testament. Um, it says, with eyes wide open to the mercies of God, I beg you, brother, my brothers, as an act of intelligent worship, to give him your bodies as a living sacrifice, consecrated to him and acceptable by him. Don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold, but let God remold your minds from within so that you may prove in practice that the plan of God for you is good meets all his demands, and moves towards the goal of true maturity. And I just like the way J.B. Phillips says that. You know, he says, um, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its mold. Well, how do you know if it's doing it? You don't know it's doing it unless you actually know what God's biblical worldview is. Otherwise, you're just going to be another, in a sense, sucker being led, us, led down the path, Okay. Um, I've seen too many, I will say, kind of baby Christians led astray because they did not have themselves well-founded in the Scriptures or were not hanging out with believers uh, and, and kind of being helped by more mature believers. They, they just, it's something seemed right to them. They kind of reasoned it on their own without evaluating it by Scripture and really swallowed the way of the world, Okay. Uh, or some worldly, uh, godless view, which seemed right to them. And, and in sometimes, like I'm, I'm in saying, it's really out of ignorance of the Scriptures. And we are today uh, in our society. Uh, there's a famine for the Word of God. People are not getting into the Scriptures themselves. They're not committing themselves to study and application. It's a problem. And so you get people trying to mix in this and that with their uh, Christianity, and you get something that's not Christian, okay? Um, And so I just think there's a warning there to us. And, you know, uh, one last thing, and I'm just going to rattle these couple of things off. I think what Nebuchadnezzar here is doing is what Satan tries to do to us a lot of times as Christians. What did he do with them? He isolated them, got, took them out of their culture, take them over here where they don't know anybody, right? He isolated them, pulled them away from their friends, pulled them away from their place of worship. Satan does that all the time. Again, he wants you to think you're the only one going through what you're going through. You think he wants you to think you're the only one struggling with this sin, you know, and to get you off by yourself and then not wanting to come to church, okay? Um, and as a pastor... This is something I kind of wrestled with my mind a little bit. I'm like, you know, um, I was like, and, and by the way, I got a disclaimer here. There are plenty of good reasons why people aren't coming to church right now. This is not what I'm, I'm, if you're in that category, I'm not talking to you. But I feel some people use this as an excuse. Say, I'm just going to watch online and not really worry about this thing we call fellowship and interacting, even though in here in this room we have masks on or whatever, but but I, I wonder if some people need to be challenged to come back to church, okay? Again, not judging anybody, 
I, I know plenty of people in our church where it's just not a good idea, okay, for them because of their health and so on. That's cool. Not judging anybody in there. But there are, I think, probably, again, I, I'm not, don't know specific situations, but I'm going to guess people are tempted to stay home because, hey, there are days where I'd probably rather stay home than preach. But I guess I have a built-in accountability thing that I'm expected to stand up here and say something, right? And so, but we need you. The body needs you. you for, we can forget that with all that's going on. The church needs you, okay? And the church is the people. They need you. They need your love. They need your, your help. They need your, you know, being there, okay? Amen? We need that. Satan wants to isolate it, just like isolate us. Also, uh, what did, what did uh, Nebuchadnezzar do? We spent plenty of time on this, but indoctrinate, right? And so we got to make sure we got a biblical worldview. And then lastly, he wants to confuse us as to our identity. He changed their names, right? And Satan loves to get us to doubt who we are in Jesus Christ. Or he wants us to get our identity from our temptations even, you know? No, you are who God says you are, okay? Not your temptations, okay? As a believer, I'm not a liar, okay? All right, so I, you, know, you know what? Name the temptations, not who you are. You hear what I'm saying? We got to get our identity from the Lord Jesus and who he says we are. You know, the Bible is filled, in particular, I think about books like the first ch- three chapters in Ephesians. You want to know who he says you are so you can be solid in your identity? Read those first three chapters. Learn what it all means. Know who he says you are. He made you. He knows who you are, okay? Don't let the world tell you who you should be, okay? That'll take us down a, a, a bad road if we do. All right, now, so off to point number three here. We're going to see here the, the resolution or the resolve to not compromise by these, three, these four individuals, okay? They are going to drive a stake in the ground. We have not seen them say anything or heard them say anything I should say, about like the name changing, uh, about the education. Uh, I'm just presuming that they, they have discernment, okay, uh, as to their prior training before coming here. So they can sniff out truth versus lie, what's true, what's not, okay? But they're, they have, we have not heard them object to abstain from the educational piece um, or from the, we haven't heard any outcries about the name changes, but now... They're going to draw a line in the sand, okay? Uh, It's here in verses 8 to 16. It says, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord, the king, who has signed your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age, so you would endanger my head with the king? Okay, let me stop right there at verse 10. So what's happening? Well, so we, we learned earlier that the king had a certain, uh, he wanted them to eat certain things, right? Well, apparently some of those things were not, kosher according to what God would ask his people to eat, right? So, um, I mean, we all know what kosher foods are here. I mean, right? So, if you, if you think about the Old Testament, there were food and dietary laws, 
okay? Now, we learn in the New Testament that because Christ has fulfilled all these things, we no longer have these dietary restrictions. And some people feel like that's a contradiction. Well, so you choose, you pick and choose the things you're going to follow in the Bible. No, but if you understand how this fits together, and, and the Old Testament is best understood reading backwards. You read the New Testament, see what Jesus Christ has done, how it relates to fulfillment in the Old Testament, you'll see certain things that would no longer apply, okay? And the food laws would be one of those. But we're reading this in their context, in their time. And these young men would know, well, God says, no, you're not going to eat any pig, okay? You're not going to eat this. That's not there. He would have things, right? Dietary laws. And so now why was this? Well, you might have other, all kinds of uh, possible explanations for the dietary restrictions, but one of the reasons is this marked out God's people as making them unique, among many other things, right? Circumcision was another thing, right? Circumcised uh, the, the males, right? That was a mark of the covenant. It marked them out, okay? Well, these food laws also made them a peculiar people and marked them out as being God's people. And apparently, the best I can understand is Daniel saying, we're not, we're not budging on this because this marks us out as God's people. God told us not to do this. We are not doing it. Um, now, God gives him wisdom, you know, whereas maybe you and I might run in and say, we're not doing it. No way. You know, he, he just, God gives him wisdom. And, and, he, and the way it's written here, we give this idea, he just makes an approach and he makes an appeal. What does he appeal? He goes on, he says, um, in verse 12, uh, he says, well, no, verse 11. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for 10 days. Uh, let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them and in this matter and tested them for 10 days. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Okay. I think we need to realize that, okay, so there is the Daniel diet out there, okay? And I'm sure you can lose some weight on it, but this is not about a prescription for a diet, okay? This is about a miracle, <laughs> this is about a miracle. I honestly don't think you can stay on this diet for three years. Remember, they're in this three years. Okay, 10 days, yeah, you're going to lose some weight, right? Vegetables and water, you will lose weight for sure, okay? But for three years, I don't think you're going to look like a string bean, okay? If you're on this diet without any spiritual, miraculous stuff going on in your body, you will wilt away. You're not going to have enough protein and so on. So do you hear what I'm saying? And, and I'm not saying that you know, it's, not, it's wrong to be vegetarian or anything like that. I'm just simply saying it's not about the diet here. This is about a miracle, okay? God's doing a miracle. These guys, they, so they do the little test, right, for 10 days. And by, so if you're losing weight, it didn't work for them. It says they looked fatter. They looked fatter in the flesh. Then all the others, God was doing something. So they're like, man, God's working. So this guy says, okay, it looks like you're going to be okay on this diet. I won't lose my head for you looking like a, a wimp when I take you before the king, and we're good. All right, so, so that, that to me is just fascinating that uh, 
Um, first of all, obviously, the, the miracle that God's doing. But just their resolve, that they're saying, We're not, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to do something that I know God has said not to do. And I'm challenged by that. I'm by you. In my own walk with Jesus, am I resolved to hold the line, right, in my thought life? Or am I resolved to hold the line uh, to not cheat on my taxes or whatever it might be? I mean, um, just to, do, to stick with what we know God wants us to do and to not compromise our faith. Are you resolved in this? Um, quite a few years ago, uh, you, you, you may have read of uh, Jonathan Edwards, right? And in the works of Jonathan Edwards, it mentions uh, some resolutions he made in his late teens. Think about this. As a 17 and 18-year-old, him making statements like the following. He said, resolved never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, what tends to the glory of God. In other words, as a 17-year-old or whatever, he was saying, I'm not going to do anything unless it brings glory to God. That's my heart. Okay, now, now Grant, you, you realize he's, he's a human like us. I'm sure he faltered, but he just wanted to make some statements that, by golly, I want to do this, right? Um, and then he goes on, he says, resolved that I will live just so I can think I shall wish I had done supposing I live to an old age. In other words, he's like, I'm going to live every day as if when I'm, I can live till I'm 80 or 90, I can look back and have no regrets, right? It's a, it's a good thing to desire. It's a good thing you know, to say, I want that to happen. Another thing he said, resolved never to give over nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. I like that one personally. He's like, I'm going to fight the sin left into my body to my dying day. I don't know if it was, I, you'll have to forgive me. I don't remember if it was Warren Wiersbe. Uh, it was one of these preachers of the past who was, I think, quite well known at, at Moody or in the Moody circles. Um, and someone was giving uh, a report about how they were visiting him in the hospital. He was very sick before he died. And there was a commercial on that was lewd. And he was doing this, right? Guy's on his deathbed, and he's still fighting sin. That's my kind of guy. That's someone who's saying, I resolve that I will not, by God's grace, compromise. And then... Um, you know, so you can imagine Daniel and his friends writing a resolution, resolved that I shall never defile myself here in Babylon, God helping me, whatever the consequences may be. And this is their heart. This is their heart to say, I don't want to bring shame to the name of God, right? And we got, you know, I think I as a pastor too, I just have to be extra careful because, you know, if I fall, in some way, I compromise in some way, uh, people associate me with God's work. And it's totally um, reflects on the Lord. And may the Lord help me to remain uh, faithful to him. Uh, but nonetheless, for all of us, right? Have you made that commitment to the Lord to say, Lord, I want to be faithful to you, to your ways, you know? 
And, and again, kind of going back to, I have to know your ways if I know how, what I'm going to be faithful to, right? Yeah. All right. So the last part here is just uh, talking about the results of all this as, as we move to as verses 17 to 21. <clears throat> so it says, as for the four youths, verse 17, Daniel chapter 1, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom And Daniel had an understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time, remember this is after three years, remember? At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in in all his kingdom. God blessed them. He blessed them with wisdom and understanding. And particularly, what's going to come to bear here is this God-given ability by Daniel to interpret dreams and visions. Okay? And so... Uh, so I did, I'm just making this point that, you know, as we, as we seek to be faithful to the Lord, he's going to bless. He blessed these. I don't know how he's going to bless, but I know he does, okay? If we remain faithful, he will bless. Doesn't mean that people won't try to hurt us. Doesn't mean that people won't hate us. That's going to happen, but he will still bless your life, okay? He will still bless your life and... Uh, I mean, it's just amazing, this miracle he did with these faithful men, keeping their bodies uh, just strong and giving them special abilities. And now, let me just kind of close with this. Do you notice, you notice there's three times in this chapter, in, in, chap, in verse 2, he says, the Lord gave. And then I think it's in verse 9, or verse, verse 9, I think it's verse 9 and verse 16 there, where he says, God gave, and then God gave. So the Lord gave them into Nebuchadnezzar's hands, but God gave these men wisdom, right? And God gave them favor with the the head eunuch. God, 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 man. God is all over this already. And he is working in ways behind, well, not even behind the scenes, in front, right in front. Like with Esther, it was all behind the scenes. Here it's like up front and center. God is doing amazing things uh, in, uh, through his people, even in an environment that was so hostile uh, to their faith, okay? And so just know that the Lord is with us, and he calls us to be faithful to him. He calls us to not compromise by God's grace. He'll help us, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and some of us, maybe we've come into this room just saying, my life has been a series of compromises, and that may be true, uh, but Father, I thank you that, um, that in Christ Jesus, if we, if we put our faith in him, all our sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. So all those failures, all those compromises uh, uh, are, are forgiven in Christ if we put our faith in you. So, Lord, uh, I, I just pray that, uh, too, that if there's someone hearing this today 
Lord, that, that may not know you. Um, there was one who came down from heaven, in a sense, exiled here on earth, who was ostracized for his living out his life in glorifying God. And he paid the penalty for our sin. That any who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved and can be forgiven all their sin, past, present, future. Lord, we thank you for that. And so, Lord, now we ask and pray, um, even as we sing here now in the next couple of songs, Lord, let us resolve in our hearts to know you more and to be faithful to you, to live a life that is glorifying to you and not compromising. Give us grace. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.